Hi, this is Pastor Bob. We have been teaching for the past few days on different doctrines found in the Word of God, foundational doctrines, and today we're going to talk about unlimited atonement. Jesus died on the cross, atoned for our sins, but it is unlimited. Anyone can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is still in contention today, but let's go to the Word of God together and find out what God has to say. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome back to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Glad to have you here today. We've been taking up uh, doctrines. There's eight of them all together. We've already had three of them. We've taken up the doctrine of theology, the study of God. We've taken up the fall of man. And uh, last time we took to, talked about faith for salvation. Today we're going to take up unlimited atonement, the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for all mankind, not just for the select ones that would receive him as Lord and Savior. So today we'll be taking up those doctrines in the Word of God. And I do have, first of all here, a note from Glam, nice name, Glam. And uh, Glam commented and said, so good, this really opens my eyes. Thank you, you're a great teacher. So it's the Holy Spirit in me, but I'm just simply saying thank you for responding. I'm getting a lot of these and I've asked for them. Just tell me how it's doing for you, you know, and just to put it on here, let people know that uh, the teaching is affecting other people. So again, glad that you're here today and we're gonna take up the word of God talking about today the doctrine of unlimited atonement. So if you'll open up to Exodus chapter 12 and uh, while you're finding that, welcome to all those who are here for the first time. Glad to have you here today and I think you're going to enjoy the word of God and I just enjoy taking the Word of God, expanding it, and I just deal with all kinds of subjects, so that's why we're called student of the Word. This is like a Bible school for you. And uh, we've taken up a number of doctrines, again, on eight doctrines that we take up. They're basic doctrines found in the Word of God. And uh, also, those who are coming back today for the seventh, eighth, tenth, twelfth time, thank you. And those who have been just watching me almost from the beginning when I went on uh, television. So you've been watching hundreds of them. You're the ones that are just addicted to it. So you go to YouTube and find as many as you can, listen to them in your car one after another. And so again, for you that are uh, Word of God junkies, thank you for coming back. And you are the ones really that I appreciate the most of all. The reason why is many of you are partners with me in this ministry. Thank you for being such and uh, for just taking on you the load of the responsibility of not only prayer, but also the finances. And this is one of those things, I'm sorry, you're not gonna see a whole lot of results of it down here on earth. But when you get to heaven eternally, you're gonna have people coming up to you saying, I received Jesus and found out because of the offering you sent into Bob's ministry, which helped to get on this particular station. And I heard it one day, watched it one day, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Or I was halfway around the world and watched it on YouTube and, and I, my life was totally changed. And I received Jesus and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, accepted a call, started a church, saw many other people saved. And you're gonna get the credit for them. You know why? Because you put finances into it. So if you'd like to become a partner with me, go to my website, bobyandian.com, and you'll find a place there where you can join those who have joined me. Joined in the heart, first of all, then joined with finances and prayer, next of all. So again, you can uh, do that and become a partner with me. And I thank you in advance. Those of you who are already watching right now going, that's me, I need to do that. And so again, 
Thanks for joining with me. Today, the doctrine of unlimited atonement. Jesus died for everyone on the cross. We're first of all going to define atonement. Then we'll examine the scope of atonement, how that Jesus died for everybody. But we find this in the word of God. I want you to start with me in Exodus chapter 12. And we're gonna talk about the Passover lamb. This is the first case where we have a lamb being offered as a nation at one time. This was the first Passover nationally. Before this time, people offered lambs. But until now, it has not been a national deal. But as God's about to deliver the children of Israel across the Red Sea, here in this particular passage of Scripture, he's going to start out again by offering them, offering a lamb to the Lord and on this date called Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, I want you to notice here that we're going to find out that the Passover lamb that man brought before God was one lamb for one house. Now, if there was any neighbors around that there was not a man there, might have been a widow woman there, something like that, she could join in with them, but there was a limited number they could bring in and add to their household. So one lamb represented one household. Exodus chapter 12, verses three through five, the Lord says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, speaking to Moses and say in the 10th day of the month, they shall find themselves every man a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a house. And if the household is too small for the lamb, and uh, he and his next door neighbor can take it according to the number of persons. Every man according to his heating capacity shall make up the count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from among the sheep or from the goats. The best lamb had to be found, examined for three days to be without blemish. What did this lamb represent? This lamb represented the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. And the three days that they examined the lamb has now become three years of which Jesus walked on the earth, examined by man and examined by God. Up until that time, God had examined him. And just as Jesus entered into the ministry, God the Father said, and it could be heard from heaven as he was being baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he said it a second time to him. There was twice it was said of him. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter tried to interrupt and God told Peter, basically shut up and listen. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This tells us God the Father was watching over the Lord Jesus, examining him, even though it was his son, even though he was born perfectly, and even though in his lifetime he never sinned, God still commented on it, that just as God watches over his own son, Jesus Christ, he watches over us. So the lamb represented Jesus back there in, in the book of Exodus and examined by man and God for three years. And God said twice of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And even Pilate before Jesus was crucified and unbelievers said, I find no fault in this man. Even the world could not find fault in him. They had to fabricate stories and tell lies about him because Jesus had no fault in him. But the lamb could only cover one family and a few neighbors. The Passover lamb of God is introduced in John chapter one. We've talked about the Passover lamb of man, and that's in Exodus, but here in John, Jesus is introduced as the Passover lamb that those lambs back there represented. John 1, 29, Jesus is about to be baptized by John the Baptist, and it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming and said, behold, the Greek word behold means to examine. Examine the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the the world. Notice this back in the Old Testament. It was a lamb for a house. Now we have God's lamb that's going to take away the sin of the whole world. So 
they found a lamb, covered their house. God found a lamb that covered one house. It was all mankind under one roof. Notice again who takes away the sin of the whole world. And this doesn't say part of the world. It doesn't say only those that would select him as Lord and Savior. Jesus died even for the ones that don't accept him, and they have until their last breath to accept him. Man's responsibility on the day of atonement was this. Leviticus chapter 23, and in verse 28, the Lord says, you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And so in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for atonement is kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R. It means to make reconciliation. It means to cover. It means to pass over or atone by offering a substitute. Notice the people, even on the original day when Passover started, that lamb was a substitute for their home. Jesus Christ now comes as a substitute for the entire world. We don't have to go to the cross, although we should go to the cross. We don't have to die, although we should die. Jesus died in our stead. And if we accept him as Lord and Savior, we will never have to face eternal death. The only ones who face eternal death are the ones that reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. So on the day of atonement, no one was to work. It was a type of grace. None of man's works would be accepted, only the work of God and the sacrifice that he was offering to him. The command was for everyone. Again, no work was to be done, but rest and, re and sit back and only accept God's work was on that day. Atonement in the Old Testament used animal sacrifices to teach of the coming redeeming work of Jesus on the cross. New Testament atonement teaches the finished results of Jesus' death on the cross. It represents propitiation, the fact that God was satisfied with the work of Jesus and had never been satisfied with any sacrifices up until that time. It represented redemption. Jesus paid the full price for man, reconciliation. We have now been brought into reconciliation with God. The peace that God was looking for was purchased through Jesus Christ. Imputation, God's uh, Jesus Christ imputed to him was our sins, but imputed back to us was his righteousness. And then justification, we have found redemption. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, an animal sacrifice was made on a brass altar representing the cross outside the temple in the courtyard. The high priest carried the blood of the animal in a basin into the Holy of Holies where atonement was made. And atonement was made by sprinkling the blood over the top of the mercy seat. The top of the ark was a throne called the mercy seat. It was covered by two cherubs, golden cherubs, whose wings touched, representing the holiness of God. And one cherub represented God's righteousness and the other represented God's justice. And the two cherubs looked down and were satisfied with the work of the sacrifice. This represented the doctrine of propitiation. God was satisfied. Propitiation means satisfaction. The father was satisfied with the work of God the son on the cross. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, Jesus Christ is called the mercy seat. The ark made out of acacia wood, that represents Jesus' humanity, 
also was covered with gold representing his deity. Inside were three articles representing Jesus Christ bearing the sins of all mankind. Inside were the tablets of the law, but they were broken which Israel promised to keep but rejected. There was a pot of manna. The Israelites became tired of God's natural food from heaven. And thirdly, Aaron's rod that budded, Israel rejected God's priesthood and eventually wanted a king. So all three of those that were inside the Ark of the Covenant represented the sins of Israel or the sins of the entire world. What's all this teaching us? We're gonna get into it after the break, but atonement teaches us that God's love is for the whole world. Reconciliation between God and man is for the whole world. Divine propitiation, God's satisfaction after the judgment is for the sins of everybody. God's plan for atonement was unlimited for all Israel, male, female, natural born, or from the mixed multitude who trusted in God before leaving Egypt. Animal's blood was the shadow teaching of the true judgment and the atonement for sin by the giving of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the cross, Jesus truly removed the barrier of sin between God and all mankind. Why? That brings it back to it. First Peter 2.24, he carried our sins in his own body on the cross. First Corinthians 11.24, this is my body which was given for you. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. 1 John 2, 2, he is the perpetuation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the entire world. So what God is teaching here in all of this is what was happening on that Passover, the first one, and happened when Jesus went to the cross, is Jesus went to the cross for the sins of everyone so that whosoever will may come and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is just good stuff. Aren't you glad for it? We'll see you right after the break. Bible doctrines are easy to understand. They only seem difficult because they often come disguised as complicated or deep-sounding concepts, but their explanations are simple. In Theology Simplified, Volume 2, Bob Yandian breaks down eight more foundational doctrines that will bring strength and stability to your Christian life. Twelve messages include the Bible doctrines of advocacy, the church, dispensations, the fall of man, the study of God, the judgments, faith for salvation, and unlimited atonement. These 12 episodes from the Student of the Word broadcasts are available as audio CDs, video DVDs, or both audio and video on a USB flash drive. To order Theology Simplified Volume 2, visit our website at bobyandian.com. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without the Word of God, our lives would be unstable and without direction. There would be no hope for believers or, for that matter, the entire world. In this seven-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian emphasizes and explains the vital necessity of the Word of God in the life of every believer. Sermon titles include a more sure word of prophecy, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's reputation, the wisdom of God's word, the merchandise of wisdom, wisdom, riches, and honor, and Jesus, our wisdom. To order Importance of the Word, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the word of God. 
Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Atonement in the Word of God is offered to any person. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 23:30, Jew or Gentile, male or female, all of Israel, those who constitute of all of Israel that were in the wilderness and came in the promised land, were promised that they could receive salvation through the work of the animal sacrifices and what it represented, which was the Lord Jesus Christ who would take our sins. Animal sacrifices had no power to remove sins, Hebrews 10, 4, but did teach of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was to come, and it is effective. It is what will remove sin from anyone. And here's the point. It removes sin from a sinner, but also that same blood of Jesus removes sin from a Christian. In the offering that God offered for all mankind, it was the shedding of blood. But for mankind who is now born again, it's just the sprinkling of blood that comes to remove our sins as a believer. Hebrews 9, 26 and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. So we come back to it. And what I'm teaching on today is atonement is unlimited. Why do I bring this up? Because we still have a number of people who teach that atonement is limited, that Jesus only died for those that would receive him. Listen, Jesus died for all mankind and there'll be no way a person can stand before him and say, well, I'm one of those you didn't die for, so it's not my fault, it's your fault, okay? What it comes back to is the reason why Jesus died for everybody so that no one can point a finger back at God and say, you left me out. God said, no, it wasn't me. You left yourself out. Unlimited atonement. Remove the barrier between God and man so that every person in the human race can have eternal salvation. Unlimited atonement is God's desire for all of mankind to be saved. The fact that people are not saved indicates that God's desire to all men to be saved is the free will of man and it can coexist simultaneously. What am I saying? Limited atonement teaches that Christ only died for the elect, those he chose and created to be saved. But election also includes God's desire for all men to be saved. Because God wants every person to be saved, he must provide salvation for everybody. Election is not based on God's sovereignty, but on his foreknowledge. God foreknew who would receive him as Lord and Savior, and those are the ones he elected. But notice his election is based on their decision. I was five years old when I received Jesus as Savior, and God didn't suddenly scramble to put a plan together for my life. The plan of salvation was already there, and a plan for a calling on my life, a plan for God to work in my life, all that was planned. But the moment I received Jesus as Lord and Savior, God's plan from the foundation of the world kicked in. So what I'm saying is election looked at me, but based on God's foreknowledge, whom the Lord did foreknow, them he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. Though God desires everyone to be saved, he knew in eternity past who would receive Jesus Christ and who would not. So election is not based on God's sovereignty, but his foreknowledge, knowing who would accept him and who would not accept him. So God has plans for those he knows that will receive him, but it does not have plans for those who do not accept him.
Those who reject Jesus Christ fall back on their own plan of salvation by their own works. God does not send the rejecting ones to hell. The rejecting ones send themselves and sentence themselves to hell. They can't point the finger at God because he gave them every opportunity and gave them the gospel to receive him, yet they turned it down every time. And when they stand before him at the great white throne judgment, they'll have nobody to blame but themselves because they rejected Jesus Christ. New Testament scriptures teach us that God's plan of atonement is literally unlimited. Listen to all these verses. It's going to take a while. Just write them down. These are so many verses confirming the fact that Jesus Christ died for everyone, and all you have to do is receive him. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient to all of us, not willing that anyone should perish, but for everyone to go to repentance. John chapter 3 and verse 16, you know this well. For God so loved the world, notice this, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts 10, 43, of him all prophets bear witness that through his name anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the love for Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live to themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. First Timothy chapter two and verse six, who gave himself a ransom or a substitute for everyone. First Timothy 4.10, for this reason, we, Paul is speaking about the pastors, work hard to the point of exhaustion and we hang in there tough. We keep on contending because we have confidence in the living God who is the savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. He died for all men, but it's not given to all men, it's given to those who believe. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has shown itself providing salvation for all men. Hebrews chapter two and verse nine, for while he, that is Jesus, was made inferior to angels for a brief time because of the suffering of death, we see Jesus who has been crowned with glory and honor, that by means of the grace of God, he should taste death as a substitute for everyone. 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, that's believers, but not for our sins only, but for the entire world. There it is laid out so simply. He's a propitiation for those who believe, but it's also a propitiation for those who don't believe and will not believe up to the point of death till the last breath they can accept him as Lord and Savior as the thief on the cross has shown us. But God is sovereign in many other areas. Acts chapter 17 Verse 24 through 26 simply tell us that because Jesus died for everyone does not eradicate the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty does so many things for us and blesses us in so many areas. Acts 17, verse 24 through 26, in Paul's sermon, he preaches this, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life and breath 
and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Let's talk about that for just a moment. This verse tells us that when God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ made everything, that he caused all men to dwell on the face of the earth and placed us there. Now listen to this, he said he made us from one blood. That means from Adam, everybody has been placed on the earth. So color of your skin, nationality, all those other things, it all comes back. We all came back from one man and that man was Adam. And he's caused us to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined pre-appointed times and pre-appointed boundaries of their dwellings. Listen to this, you didn't choose when you were born. My daughter said one time, I wish I'd been born in the 1940s. I love the music, love the dancing, love the freedom. Right after World War II was over, there was such an excitement that came across our nation and businesses began to boom and all this. I wish I could have lived there. And I just told her, honey, I'm sorry, you were born in the 1970s. So again, you couldn't be born back there. And the point of it is, is that you don't fit back there. God pre-appointed you to be born in this time and you were born for such a time as this. Next of all, he's also not only appointed the pre-appointed times, but the boundaries of their dwellings. God, listen, not only did God appoint the time you would be born, the, the exact date you would be born, but he determined where you would be born. He determined what nation, he determined what state, he determined what city, which side of the city. On top of that, he determined your socioeconomic background. You didn't choose your parents, God did. You know, when we grow up to a certain point, we always wanted to swap parents with one of our friends we had because we thought they were better than our parents. But you know what, you can't do it. You had the parents that you have, and it simply goes on to it and keeps on determining that. So uh, my parents were predetermined, the time I was born, uh, my nationality, my skin color. Why do we gripe that one color is superior to another color when we had no choice in it? God chose it. Are you telling me God was biased? God is not biased. You were born with a color. You were born a nationality. You were born a gender. You were born a certain time. All this is predetermined by God, the city, the place of your habitation. Let's get down to it further. Your fingerprints are unique. Nobody has your fingerprints. Even if you're an identical twin, your identical twin doesn't have your fingerprints. On top of that, you know when you received your fingerprints, you received them at the same time you received your toe prints and nobody gives a rip about toe prints, but we take fingerprints, but God just went all the way down. Not only is that, God didn't give me 10 fingerprints all the same and you 10 fingerprints all the same. God gave me 10 individual unique fingerprints that have never existed before, do not exist any, and will never exist. Oh, the infinite imagination of God to do all this. My eyes, retina scans, my voice, my, you know, there, there's everything about me is unique and can be identified in me as unique. And God just laughs about it. Why? Because there's no way a human being could do all that. So in the day we're living, and it comes simply back to this, there's two viewpoints. God has turned all authority over a man to man, or on the other side, God has given man no authority. And those are two extremes and both are wrong. God has not turned all authority over to man. He's turned some authority over to man. God, and what this basically saying with that one is God can do nothing without man's decision or use of faith. I simply ask this, how did God create the universe? There was no one here for him to work through. So Again, we come back to it. The next one is God's given man no authority. God has all authority, man has none, but God must do everything and man is a pawn in God's hands. That's not true. 
You're not a pawn in God's hands. The answer is between those two viewpoints. God is sovereign over all things, but gives authority to man over certain things. God made the universe, the earth, and all creation. God gave life, breath to all who were born. And our time on earth, our nation, state, city, which sin to the city, Parents, all the things I talked about were determined by God, but man is sovereign over certain things. Accepting or rejecting salvation, accepting or rejecting after that your call. A certain mate, God has lined up someone for you. If you throw that away and take somebody else, God will work with that and turn it around. But I simply believe this, if you'll wait on God, he'll bring the right one to you. Or to do God's will after being saved. God has a will for you in your life and you have a choice to obey it or not. Plus every day, hundreds of decisions made that God has nothing to do with. Some Christians don't even wanna get out of bed. They say, well, if it's God's will for me to get out of bed, he'll tell me. He's simply saying, lazy, get out of bed. Should I go to work today? Go to work. All these things are things that God has given to you. Man's will and God's will then work together in our daily life. Have a great day. I'll see you next time. You can order resources become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.